0: All right, guys. Welcome back after uh, quite a while to the Speed Up and Get Your Heads podcast. I think we're on episode twenty-four. Uh, it's been a minute since we were able to all get together, and we talked about this actually in the last episode as well. But we've all been super busy, which is a good problem to have. Traveling around, um, teaching, competing, working, doing all, doing all the things, and uh, so it's it's been really tough to kind of align the schedules here lately. And we're li- I'm literally taking sort of time out uh, <laughs> tonight from training for nationals in three days uh, to kind of make a podcast happen. So. Uh, but, but, been, been thank you guys, uh, everyone who's been reaching out asking about asking about when we're going to get episodes going again. I, I appreciate all the support and the um, and and the following. But uh, we're we're glad to be back together tonight and hopefully got some cool stuff to talk about with me as always. I've got Nick from Velox Training Group and Brennan from Vortex Edge. I'm Billy from Spectrain. Train. We're just some guys that like to shoot, help other folks get better, um, teachers and trainers in the in the shooting space. And that's mostly what we talk about here on the podcast—is just uh, training, working, how to how to get better, fellas. Thanks for being uh, making it happen. Finally, yeah, uh, back glad here to be back again, again tonight. 100. percent Me too. And uh, guys, so with with that said, it has been a minute. What y'all what y'all been working on, man? Um, what, what are you what are you doing, kind of in your in your personal training? What you working on these days? And I feel like
1: I work on uh, a lot of like this like similar topic that we typically uh usually talk about right like grip vision yeah. all of that stuff even like shooting rifles it's pretty much the exact same thing uh grip and vision and like that i think that even can like be in the same exact category as like movement too like trying to do the grip and, and vision thing while you're moving like trying to do that sort of stuff better while you're moving like that's what i've been working on a bunch of lately so a lot of movement stuff yeah the grip and vision piece while i'm moving
0: yeah so that's that's when the that's what separates the men from the boys right when you combine all the layers of difficulty together at once and you got to do all the things well together at the same time (laughs) absolutely yeah that's fun for sure
2: um yeah kind of kind of same story for me we, we were just talking about this before uh we started recording but it's like i don't know like i work on the same stuff all the time like i'm just trying to get better at all the things um but uh yeah so i've got nationals coming up here um as well so first um oddly enough uh first level three match i think uh, i've never shot an area match um so yeah it'll be it'll be a good time i think there's something to the tune of like <clears throat> 128 master class shooters there and like 50 some gms um so it was pretty nice. interesting i was looking at like if yeah. you come in at the bottom of the masters um versus like the top of the masters it's like a mm-hmm. difference between like 60 some percent and like 89 90 percent of like finish, which is pretty wild uh just even just be placing with fellas in your own class but um yeah i mean part, part of it like <clears throat> part of it you kind of know what to expect right because you can you can see the stages. You can see the the matchbook. Um, nothing looks like super crazy, or you know, I don't look at any of it and go, "Oh man, like that's that's concerning." I don't know how to do any of that, but it's uh, what is it? 24 stages, right? Um, so, you know, just trying to put trying to put together. I think the hardest part for me right now is just stringing. Like, uh, I think we talked about it maybe on the last podcast, but for me, I'm trying to find that match mode where I'm where I'm really putting together uh, at a high level, and and I'm and a bunch of different things right but i'm but i'm pushing the speed where i need to push it and being controlled on the trigger which is generally where uh i don't like to exercise any control at all um so really trying to just you know how how do you put all that together and so for me it's been um just kind of trying to boil it down to a couple different things right number one like apply the right confirmation level to every single target that you see Right. Don't try to set a cadence in your head. Don't think about how, like, you think the stage should go. Just think about what your dot needs to look like on every single target, no matter what. When I do that, and uh, like, I'm I'm generally super successful. Um, and then for the movement speed, right? That's the that's the other big thing for me is if I um, if I'm shooting a bunch of Small targets or difficult targets or control targets, I tend to make my movement uh, slower as well, and so I'm trying to mm. kind of just like I'm not going to get any better than I am before now, right? Like, and and I've I've been viewing it that way for the last two months, right? So um, it's not time to develop new skills; just try to harness what I've got. And so for me, I'm like. You know what? I'm like a pretty good stand and deliver guy. Right. And so I'm just going to hustle between positions, like run fast uh, as hard as I can in between positions, post up and, and shoot as often as I can. Right. Um, blending positions is something that I need to work on a lot, but it's not something that I'm just like going to try to pull out of my butt for 24 stages uh, at my first nats, if that makes sense. So move fast and uh, apply a confirmation level to every single target.
0: That, that's like super it. interesting because that's something uh, that specific thing you just said Oh, you know, it's all good but the uh, uh, last thing especially about the the we talk about it i, mean, I know we all do in classes right i mean our our, <laughs> our brains have subconscious rhythm a lot of times and if we start doing one thing uh more slowly as a byproduct of being more careful like shooting at more difficult targets lots of things start to slow down you see it all the time you know, guys that have a really fast draw on a five-yard target, if they're drawing to a 25-yard partial, all of a sudden they have a two-and-a-half-second draw. And it's like, man, that's <laughs> – the draw should be exactly the same, right? But the movement is something we see, I think, in competition all the time, right, um, where folks are have a really, really difficult time exploding, you know, off the trigger break, out of a position on a difficult target and actually hustling across the stage. What are you, what are you doing, Brennan, in your, in your training? I'm curious to try to work on that specifically. How are you, how are you setting that up?
2: Yeah, I mean, so essentially, I'm pretty lazy. I don't like to move targets around and and stuff. So I will set up a bunch of targets um, and a bunch of different shooting positions and or fault lines. Um, And then I will just try to push it and shoot between two and three targets for every position. And uh, just push the push movement really hard in awkward directions, right? So like, for instance, for like a right-handed shooter, right, it's pretty easy to move like straight left. I'm sorry, straight right, uh, kind of to your strong side. It's also pretty easy to push straight forward. Um, it's a little bit harder to launch uh, like backwards um, or like backwards to your off side, right, uh, where you're kind of dra- uh, trailing the gun out, uh, kind of behind you. So I've been trying to figure out like. I'm not. I don't really want to compromise positions. I want to get into that position, set up nice and wide, uh, where I can address whatever the problem is, and then just be able to leave on both, uh, like attack targets and control targets with kind of the same amount of energy. The only difference is maybe just a little bit of timing. Um, yeah. But you know, like I'm super bad about like exploding out of a control target on an exit. Right. Sometimes it's inevitable. Sometimes it just makes sense for the array. And so just forcing myself to like call like two excellent shots on that last target and then just freaking just push as hard as as hard as i physically can and when i do that when i'm putting in that amount of effort i found that my times are really competitive um with anybody that i'm shooting with um and all i really ended up thinking about was just uh you know my dot and and shooting alphas um and i'm happy to say like i've also feel like i cleaned up how many alphas i shoot like I'm generally like an alpha Charlie guy and I'm slowly becoming like a two alpha guy on, on 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 even just like the easy targets especially the easy targets um man like you can't give up a, a Charlie on an, on an easy target anymore so yeah
0: yeah a lot of interesting stuff there man I love your your emphasis when you just talk about the effort because that, that that's, yeah. it, it's it's weird to say and, and but once people grasp it they'll, they'll realize man it's just like just actually trying hard like to move as fast as you can on the stage. Um, is, is not it's it sounds simple and it sounds easy, but it's not when you're thinking about a million, especially if you're thinking about a bunch of other stuff at the same time. Um, and, and that's huge. A couple of things I think might be interesting for folks there. Uh, I know we've we've talked about this before, Brendan, but I think you know, video is super interesting. I got a, I got a funny DM uh, from somebody earlier this week and they, they had taken a video of themselves shooting. They're like, Hey man, I, you know, I hear you talking all the time about using you know, video of yourself shooting and how you like learn stuff from it. And I'm just like watching this video and I'm not. I'm not coming to any like magical, you know, revelations from just like watching myself shooting. Like what do you use that for? Um, and, and some of that, you know, you're limited by using video and, and, and you know, sometimes your understanding of what you're seeing and your are understanding of the technique and how to diagnose and so on and so forth. What one thing I said to him is like, man, one of the one of the biggest tools as far as using video is just to check and see if your perception of what happened was really what happened. Right. And that's where, you know, I get so many, I've heard so many times from folks that watch their match videos, they're back and they're like, man, I feel like I'm running really fast on that stage. (laughs) And then I watch my video back and I just feel like I'm just crawling, like what's going on. Right. And so I think in training, especially when you're doing stage style training, that's one of the really cool things you can pay attention to in video is, man, are you actually (laughs) trying to run fast, you know, across that stage? Are you actually putting effort into those movements? Um, especially those control targets. And, uh, that's a good tool. The other interesting thing, I don't know if you've seen this Brandon, but uh, a lot of times, not only when we're shooting control targets, is our movement slow down, but when we start running faster, we start shooting faster <laughs> mm-hmm. as well oh. with a, in, in ways that we don't even intend to. Right. And so, you know, separating, that can be, that can be a good thing depending on the difficulty of the target, but, you know, separating those out that out in your mind can actually be really difficult. Um, Again, the the speed of different things like movement and gun handling versus the shooting that you're doing. It's one of those
2: things things that's kind of like, you know, patting your head and rubbing your belly at the same time. Like you you just, it's hard to separate like, oh, I can pull the trigger at not my full capability uh, speed wise. And then I can be, you know, moving my legs as fast as they go or vice versa or some sort of like blend between the two. Um, but the only times you can really just go one or the other is if you're just standing perfectly still, you know, or, you know, you're moving pretty fast and it's just, you know, you're being ultra patient. Like there's, but there's so much of shooting. that's just somewhere in between. You got to find that balance. Um, I, yeah, like I said, I found that if I, if I feel myself putting in the effort, uh, I'm generally rewarded with like a pretty darn good time. And then that allows me to just uh, worry about, you know, the actual, you know, where, where was my dot, um what did I need to see on that? And, uh, yeah, so that's what I'm just going to try to keep in mind, man. Um, and essentially just been setting up stages and, and, and shooting them once recording a hit factor and moving on and trying to learn from, from what I did and, and do it better next time.
0: There's that. There's a lot of that going around.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> it's good oh to yeah. See. Lots, lots of stages on Instagram right now. It's yeah, good stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the other, last tip I'll throw out there, I think it's maybe interesting for folks, man. It's, it's funny. As we talk about this in shooting but we don't talk about it in movement is that i mean your your vision is still the steering wheel of your your movement as well mm. and one of the things that i find that's super helpful for an aggressive exit is an aggressive visual transition as well so yep. you know in my stage planning system that we go through in class we talk about transitions and it's yes transitioning the gun but it's also transitioning sometimes not shooting just with the eye so as an example off of you know, as soon as your trigger breaks off of you know your last target on an array, just yanking your eyes off of that target mm-hmm. to the spot where you want to begin your entry um, into the next position, and actually really intentionally driving your vision to that next spot that you're going. And man, it's really hard to do that without having an aggressive exit at the same time. It just kind of comes natural, yes. right? That you you start you start getting down there pretty quick. So that's, I the, think that's one of the body. The body follows people to do.
1: Like, it, yeah. I think it's one of the hardest things for people to do because I think a lot of the time people are not shooting like in the moment, meaning like they're they're looking at targets after they're done shooting them yeah, um, as some yeah. sort of confirmation. And they're trying to be super careful, whereas like if they would just stay in the moment, like you say, like whether it's trigger break or whether you're like, you know, watching the dot, you know, lift up and you could freaking move, you know.
0: I'm chuckling because you made me you reminded me of a conversation I heard on the range at a match uh last week. It's so interesting listening to shooters at like different levels have conversations with each other and the things that you hear. Uh mm-hmm. walking I'm walking down onto a stage and the last the last squad is leaving and uh they're basically all going around making excuses for why their hits sucked on this stage, right? <laughs> and the one guy goes, he goes, "Well man, he's like i'm i'm so blind these days i can't even see my holes on the targets i'm just having to watch my sights and just like hope for the best <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like bro that's what you're supposed to be doing I'm like what are you talking about <laughs> but <laughs> you're 100 percent right you know if, if you're still staring at your last target while you're trying to go somewhere else it's gonna that's gonna cause you to slow down you know yep. for sure there are two ways about
2: it. Yeah. When I teach when I teach people like wide transitions, I tell them like let your eyes initiate the movement your body wants to do. Like um I was, that was one of the I think pretty valuable things I picked up from Eric uh, Grafell was like he he kind of allows his his, his vision to Like he's like, yeah, if your feet move, like that's fine. And I was big into like, oh, like I don't really want my feet to move. Like I want to drive it from like my knees or whatever. And he was almost kind of like his head whips around and his whole body just kind of follows and shifts. And I was like, you know, that's honestly a really good way to look at it. Like if you let your eyes drive something or initiate something, the rest of your body naturally wants to follow. And but I had never applied that really to exits. So, um, yeah, that's a that's a really freaking good point.
1: Well, it's super important because, like, if you make it about anything else, it just goes really poorly. Like, if you make it about, like, hey, I just need to, like, snap the gun really hard. Like, dude, try that and show me what that shit looks like. Like, it's going to be freaking horrible. You know, Mm -hmm. like, you're going to have to clean up the dot, and then you're going to start watching it, and then you're going to start shooting carefully again. So, it's like, the eyes have to be the first thing that goes.
0: 100%. Yep. Been doing a lot of the same thing, I think. Um, obviously, you know, we've talked about it before. I think, you know, for me, <clears throat> like you said, like you said, Brennan, when you know, leading up to a major like nationals is not the time to try to get better at shooting. Um, contrary to maybe what uh, what some folks would would find would, would think, um, this is more about hey, man, let me let me really solidify in my mind. I guess first of all, what is you know, kind of my current current skill level, what are my current capabilities, and then and then work on that ability. To just be super, super consistent, as consistent as you can be, across a lot of stages, and avoiding avoiding mistakes, <laughs> avoiding uh, especially especially big mistakes when you make mistakes, recovering from them um, quickly, failing failing fast, if you will, um, and, and making up from that that really quickly. Um, it's 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 really extremely difficult for me to do. Um, I I find it just enormously difficult to walk away from an imperfect course of fire um, and not work to perfect that, right? Um, of course, that's, that's what we do in, in skill development and that's you know what I know how to do and, I'm, and I like to think I'm pretty good at. And man, work, working on that execution mode um, training and just only giving yourself you know one 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 uh, one opportunity to to do well on a course of fire is really difficult but it's for you know, again that execution mode training I think is 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 really cool I saw um uh Sean Griffith posted actually t- today so you guys may have seen it as well you know a, a cool training technique that I've seen before <coughs> I've actually heard uh, both Eric and JJ talk about this pretty pretty similar stuff but Sean was like man I went to the range today and I, I gave myself I told myself I could shoot until you know I shot 25 Charlies or 5 Deltas or a single Mike or no shoot right and I got I got to like 250 some rounds before I shot those 25 Charlies um it, it's interesting I think adding some weight in your training uh, it's difficult sometimes to to, <laughs> to feel the weight in training of those small mistakes, especially when you're trying to go fast. Um, but but given that some kind of weight in your training, uh, where you kind of have to pay for, if you will, um, those those hits or whatever the case may be, is, is is pretty interesting. And I've been doing some of that myself as well. But uh, I like that. I'm also shooting a bunch of build drills. I can't lie. Um, if you. If you know, you know. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good time this year, for sure. But uh, some of both. It's interesting. I don't know if you guys have found this, but for me, and this may just be my natural bent as a shooter, right? I, I, some some of you guys may be familiar with my kind of journey in shooting. I, I for years and years, um, kind of fell a little bit into that you know gunfights happen inside of seven yards you know kind of mindset and did you know just. All up close and fast shooting for the most part in my training, um, and and you know built a strength in that area for sure. And then when I started getting into other stuff, um, kind of abandoned that for to a certain extent for a long time. And I think for me it was to my detriment. You know, folks can 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 talk all you want about you know how you know that that up close really fast, um, not high accuracy standard type shooting is not applicable to some of the stuff we do, as an example, in USTSA. Um But I, f- for me, right, I find that at, at least as a certain percentage of that in my training is really, really helpful just with my connection to the gun, um, the, the comfortability in running the trigger, generally relaxing and not like allowing tension to build while I'm shooting. Um, you know, eliminating trigger freeze, like, you know, a certain percentage of that kind of work, I find to be really, really helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, just, just because it it requires all those things, right? It it requires you to relax. It requires you to be really intimately familiar with your trigger and it requires you to learn how to, you know, slap the trigger without moving the gun and all all the things that we actually want to be good at. Um, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if you guys have found the, found the same thing, but I think even my, my, you know, performance at intermediates and distance work um, suffers if I don't continue to work the the up-close-and-fast stuff. Am I I, 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 I crazy or do you found the same thing? No, I I found
1: the exact same thing. Um, And I'll tell you, dude, like, going around the country teaching and stuff, I I would tell you guys this, like, you're more apt to see someone be able to hit the target than, like, shoot something (laughs) really fast and clean Um, up-close. Dude, that's the hard stuff. Like, you know, three targets at, say, five yards, like, I get it. They're not super hard to hit, but, like, doing that really fast and, you know, I think another thing, too, that people miss with those is, like, when you're doing that shit in practice, like, you should be very, very critical of what your groups look like, right? Like, if you're using the entire alpha at five yards and then you're going, well, see, it's easy, it's like, well, then you're kind of missing the point. And I think that if you're – you know, not being critical of your groups, I think that is going to 100% translate to, you know, deltas and misses at 20 and 25 yards. Um, I'll tell you this, too. I think the fast, up-close, up nasty stuff has, you know, kind of inoculated me to how the speed feels. Um, and so, you know, build drills or, or, you know, targets at 25, like, really, really don't scare me anymore. Because uh, I'm just seeing and processing stuff a whole lot faster. So,
0: yeah, I love that. I think you know it's the, important. You're, the value the value you get out of anything um, is obviously directly related to how, how hard on yourself are you being and how hard are you pushing. Yeah, right. Um, you know, if if you only if you only if you get super happy shooting a two second build drill, like yeah, you're gonna you're gonna run out of value <laughs> you know there real mm-hmm. fast. Uh, but I mean, i'll tell you right now i'm i'm this is this is gonna come out while we're at nationals already so you know I'm, I'm working you know sub second and a quarter build drills right now um like there's there's that's hard like it's real hard right and there's a lot of stuff you have to get yeah. exactly right um and so yeah there's there's potential there and i think you know the other thing is you know just having those kind of goals it's super interesting you know i think when setting tough goals for yourself as far as where you want to be forces you to learn stuff that you never would have really thought you know mm-hmm. um 100 it, 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 because it's, it's easy for me you know stuff that you think that you're good at you know like for me i haven't been pushed by anybody to get faster at the draw in a really long time right like i got something i feel like a lot of times i can get super comfortable with and be like yep i got this pretty squared away uh, and then all of a sudden you start setting crazy goals for something. And it's like, man, is there, is there still, is there still room <laughs> to grow, to get even faster on this, you know? And you start mm-hmm. playing around with things again. And, um, so it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I've been, I've been enjoying it for sure.
2: Dude, I, I think that thing about like really pushing yourself up close, um, you, you mentioned like fighting tension and fighting trigger freeze and uh like pushing how fast you're processing things like i think there's a lot to that like one of yeah. the uh something i've i've been playing around with lately is like a a, a bill drill reload bill drill right it's got to mm-hmm. be clean it's got to be uh, sub four seconds right which isn't terribly hard if you have decent draw and a decent reload and can in general shoot you know a, a sub two bill on on demand Um, But stringing together 12 rounds like that was way more difficult than I thought it would be uh, than just shooting six um, or just like shooting two at a target. Like I will not generally have much of a problem with tension uh, shooting something like um, like El Prez or something like that. Right. Um, Generally stay pretty loose, pretty fluid, pretty good hits. You know, I I feel pretty good about it. Um, But then you. You go to really kind of crank down on that speed and do like a one three one four build drill on a target, and then you've got to do it again. It's like whoa, like there's so much to discover there, and and I feel like the time that I've put in working on that exact thing, um, like three or four targets next to each other with varying levels of throttle control necessary, like is not that big of a deal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like it's really easy to stay loose and relaxed and in control for all of that. Um, Yeah, so that's why I think some of those like Instagram drills, I'll call them, like pretty freaking valuable.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That inoculation is is interesting. It's like, man, you know, one of the things I found is like, hey, you want to you want to get really good at like a seven-yard build drill, back up to ten with the same time standard, and Mm -hmm. try to get good at that, right? (laughs) And then go back to seven, and you're like, oh man, I can really go fast now at seven, right? um and so yeah kind of kind of pushing those those envelopes and the, the different thresholds can it's interesting how it can impact you in other ways for sure
1: wait that's like forcing the precision piece of it right like yeah it would be like a like it would be like if a race car driver went fast but didn't know how to be precise like that guy's probably not going to win and he's probably going to wreck right yeah like it's, he's gonna die yeah, yeah like the yeah. the precision piece has to be there I like
0: that. Yep. Move back to ten, I dig it. Yeah. Yeah, and apply, it but and we, we hear we hear that about speed, you know, a lot. The whole the old, you know, drive two hundred miles an hour in a car and then go drive sixty and it feels like you're standing still, right? Um which is true with speed obviously, but I think it's with, with it applies to distance as well. Again, if you still hold yourself to the same time standards. If you move back to if you move back to distance and allow yourself to go slow, then, then the value isn't necessarily there. Um but, anyway. Yep. I, I, I digress. Good stuff, fellas. Um, hopefully that's helpful to folks What everybody's been working on. We, didn't, we don't have a, a huge flagship um, topic for this episode. Got Gotta wanted to talk about what we've been up to, update the folks. We've also got a few small topics to hit. Uh, Nick, I think you had a great one, man, for folks uh, taking classes and just for training in general. What, what you got?
1: Yeah, so when people are taking a class and they're working on one specific thing, whatever that is, whether it's grip, vision, movement or whatever. And then 10 minutes in, they look at the instructor and go, I don't think this is working for me. So (laughs) let you guys uh, say what you have to say first. And uh, (laughs) I'll chime in because I have I have a lot of thoughts on this.
0: Yeah.
2: So So yeah, so so that happens a lot to to me, um, I will say, Um, generally, because I think for one, the um, the the average skill level of the students signing up for like a Vortex Edge class is, I would say t- more towards the beginner side than like the advanced side, right? And so some of the stuff that I will start talking about is stuff that is like really like mind blowing, right? And to me, it's like I don't know, like I learned that a long time ago, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, so so I've I've heard that a lot. The the way I try to structure it in class is like look going to throw a lot of stuff at you, right? Um, it would be awesome if you would try this stuff, like, because I think it's valuable. Like that's why we have it in the curriculum. Um, I found it to be super helpful, but I like straight up tell people at the beginning of class, like some of this stuff takes like, well, not some of it, like pretty much all of it takes a lot of work to get dialed in and there will probably reach a point. So let's say like grip, for instance, if I've got some different way for you to grip the pistol that maybe you don't, you know you're, you're not a big fan of or something and you're trying that well like three quarters of the way through the day when we're working on movement and other stuff like I probably expect your grip to go back to the way you've done it for the last five years like I don't really expect it to be uh this new like oh yeah like I'm gonna nail this new like Brennan grip or whatever like no like I don't really expect that what I do want though is while we're in the like in the moment and like practicing that or or trying to figure that out for you to just play around and, and just explore some with what, you know, different grip pressures on the gun do to the dot or whatever, right? Under recoil. Um, But that is 100% something that I like tell people even before the class starts that you're going to have to take this stuff and go home and practice with it. And at the end of class, uh, like, if you're not planning on doing that, then like, I hope you had a great day at the range. Right. But if you uh, if you are planning to do that, like, I think there will be a lot of valuable like nuggets in there for you to just kind of unpack. But it's going to take it's going to take a bunch of work to to get there.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Um, You know, it's interesting. I'm not not going to add a whole lot, but um, It's tough because one of the things, you know, that I've learned with, uh, I say this at the beginning of most of my classes these days, man, one of the things I've learned from, from, you know, spending a lot of time on the range now with three world champions and a bunch of other high-level dudes is that I think if you get the top ten pistol shooters in the world together and ask them how how to grip a pistol, the only thing they're all going to agree on is that the 11th guy doesn't know what he's talking about, and... You know, there's a little bit of exaggeration there. There's going to be some universally agreed on principles, but they are all going to tell you something a little bit different, and in some cases, they're going to tell you stuff that's exactly opposite, right? And so, and so, you know, why is that? There's a lot of reasons. In some cases, what we're arguing about doesn't matter. Um, in some cases, there's uh, there's more than one way to get to the same spot, but in a lot of cases, there's a lot of variables to consider. So. You know, what I, what I prefer to do a lot of times, I think, in, in class is instead of, you know, especially with some of the mechanical stuff, like instead of telling people, like, hey, here's how here's how you should grab the pistol, and here's exactly where your thumb should go, and here's exactly the kind of pressure your thumb should be putting or not putting into the gun, right? Um, I prefer to say, hey, here here's how the gun should behave, <laughs> and here are some drills that we can do to analyze how the gun behaves, and I'm going to help you figure out how to get it to behave that way. And and it helps folks I think sometimes have an open mind and, and actually explore because when they do it their way to start with the gun isn't behaving correctly, <laughs> and and in the word of, words of my friends you know uh, friends of man if if you got a way that works that works for you but you still suck it doesn't work for you right um, and so the how you know what it does to the gun is like all I really care about. Um, but of course what you, when you were saying Brennan is hundred percent correct, it is, it is difficult, especially in an advanced level class where you're, where you're quickly going through a lot of, you know, in-depth techniques and, and higher level stuff. And someone just had to like rebuild their grip from scratch <laughs> at the beginning of class, like, man, keeping up with everything else is really tough. And, and one of the biggest things, especially with grip that I tell guys is like, man, just go ahead and add, like, I don't care if we're shooting a stage go ahead and add a second to the beginning of your stage time and make sure your grip is right. Like, you're probably not going to get it exactly right out of the holster. Like, especially in a class where we didn't spend two hours working on grip on, on the draw, right? Um, but, man, make sure that stuff is right before you do anything else. Because if it's not, then anything else we're working on it is, is not going to go well, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, yeah, it, you know, it's it's tough. Some, and some folks, are, you know, are... Come into class and aren't super open minded, you know, as well, and just aren't willing to look at new stuff, and that's okay. Um, you know, if you want to go home the same way that you came in, the same year that you came in, then that's, I hope you have fun. Like you said, like you said, Brandon, go, go forth and uh, continue to, to do what you're doing and have the same results. You know, it, it is what it is. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I started telling people basically at the very beginning of each class, like, hey, this is the class that I personally would want to go take. And which means this is going to be homework. What I would work on, you know, on my range day is what I'm about to show you guys for the next two days. And I think it's really important to understand that, like, if you've only been doing this one thing for 10, 15 minutes, you don't know if it works for you or not yet. Yeah. Um, You really don't. Like, it might not be going well at the time. And to be honest, I would kind of expect it not to go well, especially if it's new to you. So I don't know, I, I feel like people should, um, be more aware of like taking classes should be homework for you and it mm-hmm. should be homework for like the next six months to a year, hopefully. Right. Um, a good class. So, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I would just be more open-minded to that type of stuff. Like just because you don't get it within the first 10 minutes, doesn't mean that, um, it's not going to work out for you.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think folks, and just one last thing, you know, I'll add to that is, you know, folks need to be really careful with how they define not working, right? So, as an example, if if, if you're saying it's not working because it's not comfortable, so what? (laughs) <laughs> you know, to be, yep. yeah, I don't care. That's not that's not the goal. Um, you know, the, the whole idea was not for this thing to be comfortable. Again, especially if you're putting, you know, your wrist in a position it's never been in before, or or yep. squeezing, you know, your super aggressive grip panels harder than you've ever squeezed them before. Like, yeah, guess what? It may not be comfortable, but again, don't care. What's the gun doing? You know. Um, so, uh, I think how we define not working is also. Well, super important here, here's a great example before we move on to the next topic
1: i had someone tell me yep. we were going over the visual stuff right she was like well when i target focus i see two targets and i'm like you what and she she repeated it i see two targets and i'm like okay holster the gun And she holstered the gun and i was like look at the target and she looked at it and i'm like how many do you see and she's like one And i'm like okay so when you put the gun in front of your face now you see two so what are you looking at and she's like oh i think i'm doing what you're telling me to do and i'm like no (laughs) you're not like this this is going to need time to uh to set in you know and this is going to take some practice on your part
0: but (laughs) yeah that that's always tough man you know a lot of times we were just talking about with video a lot of times our perception of what's happening is is not actually what's happening (laughs) Mm Right. And that's especially difficult with new concepts or concepts that you may not fully understand because you're, you're, you're interpreting that. Right. And that's, again, why I always kind of fall back to what is the gun doing, because, you know, try, try and trying to, you know, we can we can talk until we're blue in the face about how hard to squeeze the gun. But there's there's no exact formula of words that you can give somebody <laughs> that's going to let them know exactly what to feel in their hands. Nope. Like, there just isn't, right? And so it's got to come back to, for everybody, experimentation. Understanding, you know, how do I get, how do I want the gun to behave? How can I analyze whether or not it's behaving correctly and experimenting until you get it to behave as you want or as close as you can, mm-hmm. right?
1: Principle-based training rather than just do this. Yeah. 100%. We've all been to those classes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, I this I, this is I've been trying to I've been thinking about saying this the whole time I've been trying not to but I mean I was literally in a Facebook group uh, I'm embarrassed to even say it but like earlier this week right and it's a <laughs> alumni group from another instructor they have a lot of respect for but teaches a very specific way to grip the gun right and and a dude's in there posting a picture of a pretty high level grandmaster and the way that he grips the gun. And it, and it almost sometimes the the idea behind it is like, man, how does this guy not know how to properly grip a pistol? Because he's doing it differently than we do it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, it just it just blows your mind sometimes. Um, but yeah, you're you're 100 right. You know that sometimes that that style of uh, of teaching, you know, that's 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 what you end up with, and it's really I think it can really be harmful to folks um, yep. if all you're doing in your training is is trying to figure out how, you know, to, to do it the way that you were taught, again, instead of trying to get the gun to behave the way that you want to. Um, so. Just as
2: a, as a secondary note on that, too, like, if you're the instructor who is just teaching, like, the one way, like, you probably need to get out and see what other instructors are teaching and, like, go train with dudes who are training with other dudes and stuff like that, right? Like, go take classes with the guys who are training with, Top level shooters go train with the top level shooter guys, like get into those classes that are hard to get into, like, whatever, man, like maybe you have to book it like 18 months out. That's fine. But like get yourself into that class and see what is being taught and like broaden your horizons a little bit so that you're not the guy who's just like living in his own bubble going, well, this works really awesome for me. And then you wake up one day and realize that everybody's better than you.
1: (laughs) Or, yeah, or I'll get a little spicy or that guy could actually go out and train and try to get better himself because if he's stuck doing the same exact
2: thing all the time that he probably sucks no because because you don't make any money getting better so
0: <laughs> even even if you even if you don't suck right you know i'll, I'll be the first to admit it's it, it's been humbling to me in the last year or two right to walk into a class or a room with a shooter who's like measurably significantly better than you are and you know to you know hear that guy vehemently disagree with something you've been teaching as if it were gospel (laughs) right like Mm. that's a humbling experience sometimes and and i'm sure it's going to keep happening right um you know we're not again there's there's a lot of different a lot of different takes out there on different things, and and there's a lot of variables to consider, and and we're not. No matter how good you get, we're, we're no one's right about everything. I don't think, um, and so, yeah, I think op- op- being open to that and finding folks that you respect or are better than you and have different opinions than you, I think, especially as an instructor, is, is obviously enormously beneficial. Um, but even as a shooter, I think can be very beneficial to help you explore explore other things. Um, Anyway, I've been um, probably over the last six months doing a lot of exploration in my training with different strategies. Um, and by strategies, I mean taking different stages, different courses of fire, and approaching them different ways. Obviously, you know, I think when we think about execution mode, what we traditionally think about is like, hey, man, I'm not shooting, obviously, 100% of my capabilities. I'm picking a kind of a mode of shooting where I'm at, you know, that 80, 85, 90% range where I can really, really execute on demand super consistently. Obviously I obviously want the best scores that I can get, um, but I'm not really pushing, and I'm also being too conservative. Um, I think it's interesting because there are situations when, you know, possibly shooting conservative is called for, or um, I, I think it's Pretty much universally agreed on. There's obviously situations where pushing is called for as well. Um, maybe you've worked yourself into a hole and you, in, in a match, and you've got to make up some 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 ground. Uh, you know, you're going into your last stage, and there's live scoring, and you know exactly what you need to do in that stage, and it's outside of your comfort level um, if you want to win that match. Uh, some folks would say, "Hey, man, like the pushing is completely useless. Uh, don't do it." Um, but I think at the top, you know, folks are absolutely looking at that. So here's my take on it, and this is what I hope hopefully will be helpful, helpful to folks, right? Um, I think sometimes when folks think about pushing on a stage or trying to be more aggressive on a stage, their interpretation of that is just generally, hey, man, I'm going to try to do everything faster on this stage. And that's, in my opinion, not what it is at all, <laughs> right? Um, obviously, everything except pulling the trigger, you should have been doing at 100% speed to begin with, um, so you know when some folks say, "Hey, man, I really need to pu- I really need to push on this stage," so I'm going to think about making my movement more aggressive. I'm like, why wasn't it aggressive to begin with? <laughs> that's that's question number one, right? Um, so it's it's not that, but it's also not, generally speaking, shooting faster. On every single target, right? So if you're approaching a stage, again speaking about this in terms of competition correctly, you should be asking yourself on every target, "Hey man, what's what's my minimum required site, you know, site confirmation and and trigger press on this target required to get alphas?" Um, and so you should be kind of be shooting your 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 minimum confirmation that you think's required to guarantee alphas and all those targets anyway. So if you just across the entire stage say, "Hey, I'm gonna," use less confirmation than that on all these targets, probably not gonna go well. Um, what I find works best for me is looking for a couple specific opportunities to be more aggressive than you might be otherwise, where there's hopefully not a ton of risk, but there is opportunity to gain time in specific spots. So at, at specific examples, right? Um, you know picking a specific target um, to shoot on the move on that maybe you wouldn't otherwise you know whatever whatever the edge of your comfort zone is you know if you're start getting uncomfortable shooting on the move on an open target at about 15 yards right because you start throwing Charlie's maybe you're gonna pick that target as an opportunity to be more aggressive and actually shoot on the move there um, and and you realize hey based upon the math here yeah maybe I risk a Charlie. Um, but I also have the opportunity to pick up a, a, a large amount of time there. Um, that, that, I think that's, you know, a big example it's shooting into and out of positions on targets that are towards the edge of your comfort zone, picking a, picking a target again, where you maybe be risking in the risk There might be a Charlie, <laughs> right? It's mm-hmm. not like you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not going to pick if you, if you, if you pick up the pace across stage as a whole, now you're risking mics and no shoots. Right, but if you if you pick opportunities where you're willing to risk a Charlie or two in order to pick up time, then you have an opportunity to potentially um, be more aggressive and actually get a better result on on the stage. Um, so the movements, you know, again, shooting on the move, entries and exits are are big ones for me. Um, obviously, you know, they're some opportunity there, you know, as far as timing with, uh, with movers and things like that as well, but again, you gotta be real, real careful there. But yeah, for me, you know, picking, picking those, those specific opportunities where there's some room to push instead of pushing across the stage as a whole, um, is, is what I've found to, to work the best for me. Um, what what does that make sense to you guys? What have you guys found?
1: Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. Trying to find opportunities um yeah where you can steal time specific targets i believe it was jj who uh talks about that too um but he he put it in terms of like blending uh different positions together but using targets mm-hmm. to do so i think that's kind of like what you're saying right or similar to what you're kind saying kind of.
0: Yeah, yep. similar right so it's what it is though I mean obviously if I anything mean, obviously shooting on the move <laughs> but that's always a good idea right yep but for shooters there's we always have to make that kind of gut check of okay well how how far away am i gonna as a target gonna be before I stop shooting it on the move um, and so when you're looking for opportunities to to push on a stage uh, maybe outside your comfort zone a little bit i just think you know, trying to, trying to pick those specific opportunities to do it where you have, you know, fairly low risk, right? So on open targets at distance, as an example, I would consider a low risk push because you're risking, you know, maybe a few less points if you don't do super well on that target, but you're not risking like a no shoot, as an example. Um, but by, by moving on it, you have at least at least a chance to win back time you wouldn't normally have or some of your competition might not have taken, um, by, by taking a little, bit, a little bit more risk on on that kind of a target so
2: I think it's I think it's important to, to have a pretty good grasp of like hit factor and hit factor math um, to be able to make those calls I think if you have not played around with that yet um, or barely you know like maybe you're just familiar with scoring drills using hit factor and you're not really sure about like calculating what kind of hit factor you need and what kind of hits in time um, I think that is much more confusing to know where you should be doing that. Um yeah. but when you do know that like it uh, definitely opens up some opportunities. I I did that today. Shoot with some of the other instructors um at Edge today and uh like one of the guys <clears throat> like one of his strengths is like he generally shoots like pretty freaking accurately, right? And it was a stage where I didn't feel like I was going <clears> to <throat> make up a lot of um time on him just by like how fast I pull the trigger because all of the targets mm. were uh, like, you know, we're, we're pretty much they were all partials, right, at like 12 yards. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I'm not going to really pull the trigger any faster than him. So I'm not going to really gain any time there. But I think I could push on this, uh, like on the biggest partial there was and get a little bit of time on him, like on that middle position, like both entering and exiting. Um, And so like, yeah, like I picked up like a half a second or three quarters a second on that. And like, I didn't double alpha it but I came away with like a better hit factor. So I think knowing that um, for sure can, can be a good thing, but I do think you've got to gotta be familiar with doing some of that hit factor math.
0: For sure. Um, for folks who may not be super aware of what Brandon's talking about, we actually talked about it a lot on our Eric Grafell AR episode. I know it's something we've both been probably playing with a lot over the last year. Um, and you know we talked about some of those rules that I think we took away, and I, I don't even really think of those rules, but suggestions um, for like you know how many Charlies can you afford on a stage, and I think it's really difficult for some for for some folks to, to kind of figure that out from a perspective of hey man, if I know I can afford ten percent Charlies in this stage, or I know I can afford you know five percent Charlies in this stage, how do you just approach a stage and on demand shoot 5% or 10% versus 10% Charlies, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's by not changing your perception across the stage as a whole. But again, I think that this is important for, so you have to, first of all, you have to be able to shoot all alphas to start with, <laughs> right? And then you, you start with that as your baseline. Okay, if I was gonna shoot this stage with all alphas, here's how I would shoot it. I can now afford five Charlies on this stage. Where are my biggest opportunities to exchange time at potentially the risk of some of those Charlies, i.e., you know, a leaning exit um, on an intermediate target. Okay, I'm I'm risking an alpha Charlie there, All right? So pick those spots where you're willing to risk um, the Charlies you can afford at at the greatest exchange of time, um, and and that's how I've started looking at it. And, so and, it's,
2: and it's it's also not it's also not the same for people who like if you go to a match and let's say consistently place near the bottom, but you shoot super clean and you shoot really slow and shoot lots of alphas. Like that's also not for you. Like the the thing is like at that point, you've also got to like, you probably need to do a lot of work in kind of that speed mode, development mode to figure out how to produce times that are going to put you in the top quarter of shooters before this really starts making like a lot of sense for you to, uh, to be doing. But I just thought I'd throw that out there just in case people are like, oh, well, I, I was told (laughs) to, uh, to only allow, you know, two Charlies on the stage.
0: Uh, yes. <laughs> yes so, so very good good uh, that may be a little bit of a higher level topic but hopefully it's helpful for some folks um last thing i wanted to bring up just because i have been getting a ton of questions about it and i've wanted to do it in a little bit um longer format and i'm interested to get your guys take as well right um so some updates this is gonna be specifically for you know, again the competition guys um that are interested in, in uspsa and some other sports that are out there um, I'm getting all kind of questions. Two, it includes things, you know, as as far as going like, "Hey, man, with all the things that are going on, you know, in USA, why are you still giving your money to the sport and like attending nationals and stuff like that instead of shooting PCSL and other stuff?" Um, for those that don't know, there's a lot of various drama, um, like there are in a, in a lot of small nonprofit organizations that have boards of, uh, yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, there's there's a lot of debate on kind of where, where we stand um, and, and what the best way to move forward. And part of that is the fact that we do have um, kind of a new, if you will, organization in competitive shooting called PCSL um, headed up by uh, Maxio Grandis, who is obviously a multiple, multiple time national champion in USPSA. And he's got a pretty interesting new sport he's trying to put together called PCSL. Um and so folks have been asking me, hey, why are you not pushing that and or shooting that? And I thought I would talk about that really quickly. I got nothing against PCSL. Um, I'm actually pretty excited about it. I think there's a lot of cool things that are going on over there. I also see some big holes in it that stop me from being as interested in it as I might otherwise be. Um, if you think about what makes uspsa cool as opposed to some random outlaw match or just going and shooting against your buddies um to me the biggest thing there is is a high level of competition right um uspsa creates a high level of i don't know what that noise is but it's kind of driving me crazy um, on the loud, uh, the, right?
1: the bill drill nationals over here oh <laughs> oh yeah
2: sorry <laughs> Um, Got to multitask, man. Been sitting still too long.
0: Because USPSA is a part of, you know, essentially the world championships of shooting and some of the biggest, you know, baddest competitive shooters in the world are a part of this sport. It encourages a super high level of competition. so like around here, as an example, you go to a match, it's super hard to go to a match and not have, you know, masters and grandmaster shooters in your division that you're shooting against. And so that's, I think, one of the biggest benefits for me in competitive shooting, is, is going against some of the best of the best, um, and again, they're there because they're training for area matches and nationals and world shoot and those kind of things that, frankly, you know, PC Self doesn't have. The other interesting thing to me, and a lot of, there's some some debate here in 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 the value that I see in an organization like USPSA actually is the classification system, because even if you don't have you know, those super high-level shooters at your match that you're going to, with the classification system, you have at least one chance per match to see how you stack up against, you know, folks from all over the country. And you can see linear progression in how you, how you progress from match to match um, in that classification system, right? And so, obviously, you when know, you show up to an outlaw match, PCSL match, etc., you're just not going to have that. And so you're basically it, it very much is and, and again PCP might start attracting you know super high level shooters all across the country. I'm just not really seeing it right now. And so unless you know who the people are that are at your match and you have some way to measure how good they are, um, it's it's not super unlike just like showing up and at the range with your buds and and shooting some stages, which has value too. Um, but it's just it doesn't have some of the value there that I see specifically from USPSA. Um, I also have a little bit of a beef and i'm super interested to get your guys take on this i don't know if you're <laughs> even familiar with this uh with the targets <laughs> have you guys seen the pcsl targets yeah um yeah for folks who are actually watching i'll throw them up on the screen real quick so it's essentially for folks that are listening if you took um an, an ipsic target and you cut it across at the top of the shoulders and you stuck a USPSA head box on there. That's kind of the perimeter outline. And then you've got this big giant K-Zone thing um, in the head box, which is essentially like, instead of having, if you took the top of uh, the USPSA credit card, that four inch by one inch tall slice in the target and you kept it where it was but made it five inches tall so that it came all the way down to the bottom of the neck, um, that's what you've got with these targets. Um, target design is super interesting. To me, I'm a big fan of targets that encourage us to do that, to create good systems of aiming and shooting in general, right? So bullseyes, as an example, do a good job of doing this. Um, I think as we pick up speed, our shots should expand concentrically around the spot that we're aiming, and so bullseyes are are, are fairly good for that. However, they tend to not have good graduations in them. Most of the ones that we have, like B8s as an example, just have super tiny, small graduations where you're not really building a good system of shooting that balances speed and accuracy. You're essentially trying to get all of them in that 10 ring all the time. And if you happen to throw one out in the eight, you're kind of mad about it. Um, it's kind of the way those work. I think the USPSA targets do a really good job in the af targets um, of allowing you to balance speed and accuracy in a way that's pretty cool. The, there's some debate about you know the shape of the scoring zones and so forth. I think if you aren't going to make them, as you know, a scoring zone, square or round, uh, making them more forgiving in the vertical plane makes a lot of sense versus the horizontal. You don't want a whole lot of horizontal movement, obviously, in your gun while you're shooting, but there is going to be vert- vertical movement. and So some of that kind of makes sense. Some of it's probably based around the way iron sights are d- designed as well. And, uh, and possibly around um, the... Actual and the you know basic anatomy of targets, but point being, I, I, I like them designed around aiming schemes. Um, I, you know, actual anatomy targets as an example. I was kind of forced to use anatomy targets back in the day, and it's like, um, you know, as an example, if you have a target on it that has kind of a central aiming point, but then like you get, um, you you get a better score if you hit the heart in this anatomy target. And of course, on on humans, the heart is generally justified more to the right side of the body. Okay, so what aiming scheme does that help you develop as a shooter? Do we we (laughs) want folks looking center mass and then intentionally shooting to the right all the time? What about if they're shooting from the back or the side or something? Right, and so it doesn't, like what we want folks to do is to pick a spot, learn to pick a spot on the target and put a lot of rounds there really quick. Like that's 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 really as simple as it is, um, and then you know you can you can apply that to whatever target you're picking, um, as is appropriate. So anyway, the on, on these targets they're scored the same as USBSA because they have this giant K zone in the headbox um, that actually scores ten points, and then the Alpha is still five, Charlie is still three, Delta is still one. Um, And you can only score a max of 10 points on target. So essentially, one K-Zone hit is the same as as two in the alpha. Um, Three-Gun has done this before. This is basically borrowed straight from Three-Gun, where you can put two in the alpha. I'm sorry, one in the alpha or two anywhere to neutralize the target. But in this case, you know, this K-Zone is like just smack dab right against the top of this alpha. So <laughs> we already see, it's funny, we talked about this with the Bill drill competition last year at, at Nationals, um, you know, folks essentially missing the target on occasion and tagging the credit card on a USPSA target and getting what's generally referred to as getting an alpha the hard way. And, and that's really an unfortunate thing about the USPSA target, honestly, is that folks accidentally get alphas. Um, <laughs> I don't see how this doesn't make that problem just exponentially worse. <laughs> to be totally honest, like, people are now accidentally getting two alphas um, by tagging the top of that AZO. Um So, anyway, I, I don't understand this target at all. I don't understand what aiming schemes it helps us develop as shooters. Um, and so it doesn't make sense to me. And maybe someone can explain to me why this is a good idea. Um, but I don't love the targets. Am, am I am I completely out to lunch, or what do you guys think about these?
1: No, I, I think you're spot on with it. If the like if the top like if the
0: top A zone is up against the bottom A
1: zone, or they call it a K zone, right, for the, right, for the head box, yes, yeah, then that's just like one big ass fucking A zone, like, like how like how far away is it from the one in the lower part?
0: So again, I'll throw it back up on the screen mm-hmm. so you can see at the bottom the bottom of the K zone. Hopefully, you can see. It. I'll actually zoom in. Uh, I think I can zoom in on this. There we go. Oh, so yeah. the bottom of the here. K zone is literally at the that goes all the way to the bottom of the head box, if you will um yeah that's just
1: one big ass a zone
0: people are essentially i mean people at at any kind of distance right the thing is if you aim for the center of the k zone you've got mic potential left and right obviously um so you know i I assume at distance people are probably going to aim more for the central a but again as your group expands you're going to constantly be accidentally tagging the k zone towards the top and getting extra points that you did not get on that you did not try to get on purpose
1: I'll tell you what I do like about it is like uh, the bottom edges are cut off. <laughs> I don't want hits down there anyway. Uh, that's cool. I
0: do. You have like the bottom left and right corners? That yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah. It digs in the corners. Yes. Yep. I like that. That that's that's a cool thing of the like the Ibsic style targets as well. Um, but but yeah, I totally I do agree with that. Yeah.
2: I mean that A zone, right? Is Small. Smaller, much smaller than. Well, it's I don't a, know if it's, it's much exactly, smaller.
0: It's exactly the same width.
2: Because it's, it's A zone around the K zone, right? It is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's weird to me, <laughs> because like at least with a USPSA target, you know, I I don't like how there's two A zones either. I understand why they're there, but like at least you, if you miss the A zone in the head, you hit a Charlie. And if you miss the A zone in the body, you hit a Charlie. Um with this one. Yeah, I don't know. I maybe they're trying to just get people to just shoot one shot per target. I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's A zone around the head? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so
1: if you missed if you missed oh, if you miss the K yeah. zone,
0: that's that's all alpha.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I like
0: that. <laughs> um, so that's that's yeah. the other in my mind so the, if you think about the design of the USPSA target right the, the reason that upper head box is there aside from obvious applications the cool thing for it in matches is that it allows you to give uh, cha- marksmanship challenges up close
2: yeah. you can
0: actually put you can put a difficult target close to the shooter mm-hmm. um, so we have literally no way to do that essentially with this target
2: yeah. You can do like the head box only targets or whatever, and you still have an A zone visible.
0: You give me, you give me that target at, at 10 yards, head box only. I'm still putting a 15 split on it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, uh, so yeah. Anyway, for I hope they worth, do well though. I do too. Yeah. For what it's worth. That's a couple of reasons why I just haven't been super, super excited about PCSL. Um, and I think there's some things in the sport that kind of limit it from becoming the next would say, as well. As an example, there's no, there's no power factor at all. So you can just load whatever ammo you want <laughs> as long as your gun works for PCSL, right? So that has obvious applications um, that I think create, you know, a, a, as an example, a perceived real disadvantage for folks that want to be able to buy factory ammo and compete in the sport, right? Um, So I think there's some limiting factors to it. That leaves us with the USPSA. Where are we at with USBSA? USPSA? What what do we need to do? I totally get um, folks that may be listening and saying, hey man, I I just wanna go shoot. I don't wanna get involved in in the politics and the drama, and I don't wanna hear about it. 100% get it. I'm not gonna dive into a a ton of it today. It's not what this podcast is about. However, a lot of times we folks, I think avoid getting involved until literally it's too late and the thing is kind of over. And, and all the, the parties over, so to speak. And that potentially I think is where we are. Like at the very least, you should be concerned about the fact that the organization is losing money for no perceivable reason at an untenable rate. Um, and the, if, if nothing else, you should say could go bankrupt. Like if and, and if we keep going the way it is, we will. Like that's just, that's that's where it is, right? So at least paying it's it's definitely time I think to at least pay attention (laughs) a little bit. There's absolutely no reason, by the way, why why we can't write the ship and fix this thing. USPSA match matches for the most part are still fantastic. They are still the best the best opportunity we have to test speed and accuracy uh, uh, in a practical shooting context at a really high level of competition. Like that's what USPSA is supposed to be, and that's still what it is. And so USPSA matches are still great. I still am pushing people to go participate in those matches and and use them to help them get better because they still do a really good job of that. Um, But stuff's happening behind the scenes that could absolutely, unfortunately, ruin the fun for everybody. Um, And so we we need to pay attention to those things. Um, The reason I bring it up is because right now we do have elections going on. Um, I was talking to the guys before we started. If you've seen the numbers, we have 35 plus thousand members in USPSA and usually like 200 people vote for an area director which is pretty wild. Um, and so right now we have uh, Area 6, Area 8, and a presidential election happening. Um, and, you know, if, 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 if 50 people that listen to this uh, decide to go vote in their area, um, it, could, it could literally sway the tide. Um, and I really do think that it's time that we need to essentially flip the board um, and, and, and change the way things are, are going. Uh, If anybody's interested, uh, you know, I'm voting for Ben Barry in Area 6 and uh, Luigi for president. Um, Find somebody that uh, is wanting to change the direction and has clear, articulable goals. Um, If they just want to make USBSA fun or uh, have a member code of conduct, that's probably not what we should really be concerned about right now. Um, So there's my two cents. I don't know if you guys have anything to add there.
1: Yeah, I voted for the same dudes for the same exact reason. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, when they say, well, with all this bullshit going on, why are you still shooting And It's like, my answer is like, hey, man, like, this is still the best thing that we currently have. I mm-hmm. hope the PCSL thing gets better. And if it does, and all the really good shooters go there, and it gets more and more organized, then, then yeah, sure. But like, I don't know, I, I feel like just quitting the whole, quitting the sport is not going to fix anything in fact it'd probably empower those that are making really dumb and uh well that's an understatement decisions um so yeah like i'm i don't plan on quitting anytime soon same you know
2: i mean i mean for like i think for all of us uspsa was the one of the things that kind of lit the fire under under us to become like really good shooters Um, and I, I freaking have enjoyed that journey, um, tremendously. And I think it's something that's super valuable for people of, you know, for whatever reason you shoot, it's super valuable to just, you know, to use as a tool to become better, whether or not you have any aspirations to win a national championship or something one day, like that's kind of besides the point, but if you're out, you know, involved in shooting local matches and stuff and using it as a test to figure out where you're at, like. I think it's just kind of a basics of getting better. I think it's the best competition out there right now for um, like a good balance of, you know, speed accuracy with those whole freaking podcasts is about. So um, that's the reason I'm still involved and like still, you know, pay an annual due and have a a member number and all that stuff. And uh, like I run a match, um, you know, up here and uh, it's It's a a lot of work, but like I think – I think that's that's why I'm in it, um, and uh, the politics is super annoying. Like I don't like to follow it and keep up with it. I do just enough to kind of be able to essentially do my part. Um, pretty much how I, how I do politics in uh, the country as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's like you kind of you kind of have to be aware of like what's going on, especially if it's something yeah. that you like to go do. You know, the yeah. the country is is the same exact thing, right? Like you can not pay attention and put your head in the sand. But the minute that it's on your doorstep, then it's then it's your problem too. And I think you can definitely see something happen in USPSA where it's like, I really like this and now I can't go do it anymore because these idiots allowed it to go bankrupt, you know, because they're spending, who knows where they're spending money at this point. But uh, it's quite obvious that they're spending it on something, right? Um, So I, I think it's definitely time for a change. So I wish mm-hmm. more people would get out and vote.
0: Yes. Vote for, vote for all the things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Always good. Awesome. Good stuff, guys. Hopefully, there was uh, some interesting and helpful stuff for folks in that episode. Appreciate you getting our schedules together to make this happen. We'll definitely have to circle back um, after Nationals. I know Nick's unfortunately not going to be able to make it, but um, I'm sure we'll have some interesting takeaways.
1: Great, Dad. Um, I got waitlisted and never made it.
0: I I think I I think I heard last week, although it was not from the most reliable source, that there was like 250 some people on the waitlist, um, yeah. which is crazy.
1: I uh, think I'm hmm. like uh, 120 down on that list, <laughs> right. and I had people that were like, "Dude, Rough. you'll get in," and I'm like, "Man, I, I can't like <laughs> I can't start like I can't get excited to go train if I'm 120 right. down on the waitlist, man." Like, right. So, I don't know, big time bummer for me,
2: but yeah. hopefully next sure. year I will get in because I really, let's, really wanted to go.
0: Let's make it happen.
2: We should all squad together and then do a podcast uh, like right after.
0: Like, like okay. in person? Yes. Bro, That'd that be, would be so rad. That'd be awesome and weird. <laughs> It'd be so cool. <laughs> Fine by me. Sounds like a plan. Mm. All right, fellas, that's about it, guys. Thanks for listening. If you're if you're still here, <laughs> I salute you. Thanks for listening to this uh, the full episode. If you got questions, as always, drop them below. Things you'd like us to talk about on the podcast. Um, there's a link below in the description uh, where you can do that. So please feel free to do so. And also, as information for um, all of our our hosts, make sure to check these guys out. Train with them if you get a chance. I promise you will not regret it. And uh, until next time, this is Speed Up and Get Your Hits. Thanks, guys.